All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Just after three o'clock. How are you? Welcome back. Game day on sports. 1440 orders in Winnipeg to take on the Jets. Uh, Hopefully they're busting breakdown, man. It's a tough little bus ride to get there, but uh, hopefully they're there uh, ready to roll. That's a Gregor show is always presented by playalberta.ca. We got, uh, lots of text. <laughs> Many, I love, I love the honesty of the texters. Oh, I'm so great to hear that someone else got sucked in by that hypnotist. I did the same thing. What a joke <laughs> from Doug. <laughs> hey, man, it's all good. I like it. I could, uh, I can understand why people be a little bit frustrated, but you know what? When you're desperate and you're trying to, you're trying to do anything to, to make it work, I totally get it. Now, if you're looking for some good news, I, I do want to mention this, and then we'll get to TR. Um, Santa's lunch and light up the town square. The fourth annual is this Sunday at the Canadian Brew House in Windermere. Kids eat free, by the way. And uh, you go there as a family. Uh, the, the you know proceeds to go to help the uh, Stollery uh, Music and Pet Therapy Program. All right, so you can uh, go to look at the Canadian Brew House website or go follow them on uh, any social media, and uh, you can see they have a QR code where you can reserve your table. So it's this Sunday from 1 to 5 o'clock at the Canadian Brew House in Windermere, Santa's Lunch, and uh, Light at the Town Square. So uh, maybe your little one, you don't want to go to the mall here at Wham and wait in line for hours to see old St. Nick. Well, you can do it this Sunday. Check it out at the uh, Canadian Brew House, Windermere. So. So it is one of the, uh, I have to say, um, it's interesting. I never, my son never wanted to go meet Santa. Right? He writes his letter every year. He's fired up about it, but uh, never had to go to the mall 
I remember going through it once, and you're like, you know, I think we wait till he's four. Because I saw some people take their kids when they're two and they're bawling and screaming. I'm like, man, you wait in line for that? It's not good. So I waited till he wasn't maybe nurse or whatever. And he's like, yeah, I don't. He goes, I'd rather just write him a letter. I, I don't want. I don't want to see him. I don't know what I'm gonna say. So <laughs> he never asked. So he would, but he writes his letter pretty, you know, adamant. Actually, already written it. Already wrote his letter. He's fired up, waiting for it to come back. So uh, there you go, man. It's uh it's awesome time of year uh, to see uh, how excited uh, kids and adults and everyone get. Uh, uh, imagine being Santa Claus, though. Whew, just spread joy and cheer. It's good times. Good times. Be uh, you know, like you know, unless you're Sean Brown at uh, Matt's Lingering Place. That uh, that doesn't necessarily uh, didn't go over very well, con man. So we'll uh, we'll see. You ever you ever dressed up as Santa Claus? Not personally. That story they told me, I, it seemed like they, or told us, it seemed like they didn't really plan that. No, very no, well. it was very <laughs> last. But also, we learned that in Sweden, um, the Santa Claus outfits are not—they're not like ours. They're very different, right? So it's a different culture. So uh, it was kind of unique. Hey guys, I don't know anyone who had a hypnosis work quit smoking. Not one person from uh, Imitation Tom. But then Russ in the barn says, "Hey guys, my mom did that hypnosis class with the guy at the mall, cold turkey, fifteen years ago." Well, there you go. So there's one, Tom, Russ's mom. It worked for her. And I guess, you know what? If, if it only it can only help one person, then away we go. Hey, guys, I'm a speed guy first. Perry's too slow. Order shouldn't consider him. Huh. Well, I guess it all depends. If, if, you're, if, you don't have, if you're looking to say, okay, you know what? We want to add some experience. We want to add somebody who can play in the playoffs. And Corey Perry has a history of doing that. Yeah, and and if he gets his addiction stuff under uh, under control, and you just sign him for seven seventy five, and you don't have to give up an asset, I can see why some teams are going to consider it. Right? I think obviously Corey Perry, whichever team talks to him, he's going to have to tell the story, the whole story, to that organization. That's just a, that's just how it's going to be. Like you, because any organization does his due diligence, they'll talk to people in Chicago. Find out what happened, and then they'll ask Perry to make sure that you got the same story. I think that's pretty much uh, what's pretty much obvious. That's what's going to happen. So let's see how that goes. Hey guys, my good friend got lasered to quit smoking. He swears by it. Instant no cravings. I mean, lasered like tasered. What does lasered mean? I don't even get it. You got to Lance. You got to give us more details on that one. Then, hey guys, I did laser therapy and it worked for about a year and a half till the family death, and then I used it as an excuse to start again. Back off the darts now, but still using nicotine from JCD. So I don't get the laser therapy. Someone explain to me what does that mean? Like, what do they laser? I'm curious if it worked. It's like, hey, there's two people back to back, totally not connected. Who did it? Hey guys, who would bring more to the orders, Corey Perry or Patrick Maroon? Hmm, interesting question. Well, if you look at their their track record, Corey Perry has been an infinitely more productive player in the playoffs. It's it's not even close, right? Patrick Maroon was on teams, and you know he they would say that you know maybe he brought a a locker room or some stuff great, but on the ice he didn't really produce a ton, right? He, he filled a role, but usually he filled a smaller role and wasn't a productive. 
right? Like he played 150 playoff games. And when they, you know, with the Blues, they won. Now the Blues are probably his best. He had three goals, seven points in 26 games. You know, decent. It's pretty good numbers. Then with Tampa Bay, one goal. Tampa Bay, two goals. Right now, obviously a limited role. So it's a good question. Like, but here's the thing. Like even now with Maroon, like it's three years removed, right? Like last year for Tampa in the playoffs, now only six games. Uh, didn't have a goal. No one's going to score all the time. So that's actually quite a good question. Um, you would have to give up an asset to get Maroon, whatever the asset is. Whereas with Perry, you'd have to do nothing. And Perry last year in the playoffs, same team. He had two goals, five assists, and six playoff games for Tampa. Like, I won't buy the argument that Corey Perry's too slow. Corey Perry had nine points in 16 games this year. Anybody saying Corey Perry's too slow, I think you're overvaluing speed. I don't care how you don't, he doesn't have to be a burner. Not everybody has to be super fast to be effective. Corey Perry had nine points in 16 games before this. So I wouldn't, uh, I, I wouldn't rule him out. I think Corey Perry, if he wants to play and if, if uh, they, you know, this story turns out that there's, and it sounds like there's nothing illegal that went on, uh, did something, said something. I don't know what happened officially when he was intoxicated, but he made a dumb decision while intoxicated. Now, maybe it was multiple. Maybe it happened a few times while he's intoxicated, right? I don't know. But they'll know exact true story, and then they'll find out, hey, is it worth another chance? I'm guessing if he goes to rehab and, you know what, gets to the root of his issues, cleans himself up, someone will look and say, because if you look at Corey Perry's career, this is kind of like the first misstep you've ever heard from him. Right? And it wasn't, there wasn't anything um, illegal from from every party involved here that said that so i guess that's the one positive but i would i won't be surprised if come february or march a team signs Corey perry for 775 pro rated million bucks whatever the contract is i could see that happening for sure and i i wouldn't rule out that he's that he's too slow hey guys look at ryan mcleod how many points does he have with speed there's different ways to produce bang on man Bang on. Now, and, I, and by the way, I'm not one who's on this Ryan McLeod, you got to trade him train. I, I think it's a tad premature. I'll be honest. I don't, I don't really under, I get that you get frustrated, but if you look at Ryan McLeod's game, there's lots of other elements of his game that are good. There are some that are frustrating. No question. But saying, well, Ryan McLeod should play grittier. That's not who he is. I think it's terrible analysis to say, well, this guy should do something he's never done in his entire life. That's not who he is. He didn't get drafted because of that. He didn't get signed to a contract because Ryan McLeod was going to bring a lot of grit to his game. That's not his game. Now, you can say, I'd prefer to have someone else. Okay, fine. That's a different conversation. You can say, hey, I like Ryan McLeod as a player. I don't like his style for my team. Totally valid. Everybody's going to have a different opinion on that. But when you say, well, he doesn't do this, don't be, don't ask players to do stuff they've never done and then be like, oh, I can't believe they're not doing it. It's like, I can't believe Vincent DeHarnay isn't producing points and running the power play. What the hell's going on? Of course not. You wouldn't say that, right? You wouldn't say it. It's not his game. Ryan McLeod is never going to be the greasy play inside guy player. He was never that. He hasn't played that way his whole career. You think he's suddenly going to change at the NHL? Like, I don't see how. It's not. His, it's not it. Like, 
Now, the one thing I think Ryan McLeod can improve on is hitting the net. That's something that you can do. You can control that. You can hit the net more. Now, we've seen guys when they're in slumps, they miss the net. They try to make the perfect shot. So that happens. But so remember that trading Ryan McLeod just because he's in a funk, like he's not going to go. Now it's 25 games without a goal dating back to last year. Right. He also scored 10 goals in 57 games. So technically, he scored 10 goals in 53 games and didn't score in the final four games of the season, right? So he had 10 and 53, so now he has 0 and 25. It's like saying, wow, let's trade him now. And that's the other thing. So you're going to trade Ryan McLeod now? He's at the, like, the lowest possible value. So you're just going to give him away. That doesn't make any sense. So I don't, um, I, I don't see that as an option. Um, I, I think there are things you can work on him with. I'd be like, Ryan, I see your speed. We got to get you to start cutting to the net a few more times. That's something that he can add to his game. You can't just take the easy route because that's what the other teams are giving him now. They're like, oh, let's just, we'll give McLeod the outside. He'll take it, but there's nothing dangerous out there, right? Cut back inside a few times, and then suddenly the D-men now aren't going to give you, and then you can take the outside and cut underneath them. Right with his speed and and like he's it's a skill to be able to transport the puck through the neutral zone in the NHL. Not a lot of guys do it. McLeod can do it. It's a good skill set. So work with what he does well and just try to accentuate it rather than just say, "Ah, oh, he's done. I hate him. He hasn't scored in twenty one games, bro." I don't think that's the uh, the way to go. Right now, if you feel you can trade him for a player that you want, like well, just trade McLeod for a gritty thing. But there's the other thing. You're saying he isn't very good. You don't like him, but then you want to trade him for someone who's really good. How's that work? Which GM's going to be like, well, everybody says this guy's terrible, but I'll give you a really gritty guy that we really like for him. Why would they do that? Right? So that, that's the other part about it. You can't say on one hand, you think he's terrible, you want him gone, and then say, yeah, but let's trade him for someone really good. <laughs> I don't see how that's realistic at all. I'd trade McLeod for Costin. Why, JCD? Clem Costin had an unreal shooting percentage I don't think sustainable. Go look at his career, right? And look at, he had a nine-game stretch where he got red hot. Did he score six goals in nine games or was it seven? I think it was seven. And then go look at the rest of his career. I like Clem Costin. He's physical, but he's not a $2 million player, not even close. And he doesn't kill penalties. So, no, I, trading McLeod for Costin would be a bad trade. You, you're falling in love with the fact that he can fight and he's physical, but he's a $2 million player who had one nine-game stretch of seven goals that really skewed his overall production of his career. So I'd, I'd be mindful of that. Now, if Clem Costin was an $800,000 player, maybe a million, I can see why he'd be interested, but not a two. That doesn't, that doesn't help the owners at all. And it weakens their center ice position. We'll return on the Gregor Show on Sports 1440. Sean Merriman will uh, join us. We'll talk a little NFL next. 325. Steve gave us an explanation. Fellas, I did the laser to quit smoking. They basically shoot a laser at acupuncture points, and it takes away the cravings from Steve. Um, uh, I was Googling it online, and, of course, everything you read online is true. Obviously not, but... Um, a, a few different places, uh, four different ones. They say there's like a 78 to 80% success rate for smokers. Interesting. I never heard of it, but again, I'm not a smoker. I'd never really looked it up. So Steve, thanks for the explanation. I appreciate it. wonder if that would work for dinosaurs. God, 
maybe. It'd be great. Might, might, might have to look into it. Let's get to the uh, NFL report brought to you by Legacy Heating and Cooling. Home of the no payments, no interest for one year on your furnace. Stay warm all winter with no payments at LegacyHeating.ca. We are joined by uh, former NFLer Sean Merriman joins us once again. Sean, welcome back to the show, man. How you doing? Hey, what's going on, man? How's it going? It's great. Um, I, I want to get your thoughts on a few things. Uh, first of all, as a player, and now it's three weeks out, so maybe you wouldn't care, but uh, they, they made the flex change, right? And first time ever for a Monday nighter, so they moved the Chiefs and Patriots because the Patriots are terrible this year, and they moved the Seahawks and the Eagles. If you're a member of the Chiefs and now you're playing Sunday, 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 are you happier for that? Like when you play on Monday, are you noticeably more fatigued the next weekend or are you fine after that? Not, not really. I think it comes down to a mind game, right? I think the Thursday night games are the ones that are the kicker, right? Yeah. So you, you you turn out Sunday, and then before you know it, you're practicing, you're getting out the cold, the hot tub, and before you know it, you're right back on the field, right? The Sunday and Monday night games, your body, you're, you're pretty much normal. You feel good. Um, you still got that week, that full week to, to get ready again. It's really, it's always been the Thursday night games that is really, really difficult to cover, recover from, especially when you're when you're an older guy. Um, give me your, there's a few teams and I, I got to talk. I want to start first and I don't know, maybe this is cause Connor, he needs, he needs some therapy right now because uh, he's a huge charger fan and it's obviously been a very disappointing season for them. Um, what were your thoughts when you saw how testy and defensive their head coach got talking about their past defense Well, their past defense is terrible. It was deserving, right? I mean, I think that, what we all have to realize is players, coaches, whenever you're in this business in general, those guys got a job to do, right? So that they don't ask you these questions, they're not doing their job. And if you don't like these questions, maybe you should play or do something better, right? And so at the end of the day, um, I didn't see anything in line or wrong with the questioning. And in fact, if you're a reporter, if you're a writer, if you're in the media, you see someone getting agitated. Hey, hell, why not? Let's get a sound bite, right? And so – at the end of the day, I think it was a very straightforward question. Uh, they're not playing well. Uh, and one thing that, that really that I hung on to personally, and this is me being just a former defensive player, if I was somebody in the locker room, um, when they, when they, uh, somebody in the media asks you what you guys are going to do different and you say nothing, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing, that's a wrong answer. Okay. Right? It's just a wrong answer. You're at the bottom of the barrel on defense when you're across the board in multiple categories, right? What you want to hear, and even as a player, what you want to hear out of your coach is when I get back to when I get off of this out of this podium and I get back to the locker room, there's going to be changes immediately, right? And that's how you win back a locker room. That's how you install some kind of a, a positiveness. You make everybody feel good about the next week. Put people on on the edge, right? Get everybody walking on their toes. Uh, you you want to wake that locker room up and, and make some drastic changes. Because you know the next drastic change is coming is you being out of there. So why not shake things up on your way out? And and I was a little bit confused. It was disappointing to hear that. And I have no problem with the media doing what they did and asking the questions that they did. Yeah, I don't even think the question was that bad, to be honest. Because they're like when you watch their past defense, because they get a lot of pressure up front. Which usually, if you get a lot of pressure up front, that in theory makes it a little bit easier because you shouldn't be uh, you shouldn't be covering as long. What's up with the secondary? Why is it the structures of the system? Why is their pass defense so bad? I, I believe, and I've gone to just about every home game. I watched every game that they played. I believe that they have no identity and they, they're doing too much. Right? 
Um, you know one thing. You got players on that defense, and Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa, some of these, some of these great players. Um, uh, Kenneth Murray's been playing a lot better. Uh, Kendricks, Derwin, you know you got playmakers on the defense, so now let them play. If you got your playmakers out there thinking too much and trying to put too much on the plate and not let them go out playing football, you're diminishing their skills. This you you, you let great players not, and I played for a defense coordinator. I played for Wade Phillips. Wade's whole thing was you're going to do as much as you can the things you're great at doing, right? So whatever you're great at doing, we're going to have you doing that 80% of the time. And what you're not great at doing, you're doing 20% of the time. It just seems like the defense, they have a scheme, they got a way of doing things, and they want everybody to do it their way. Well, guess what? That way has not been working. And so now you got to make some drastic changes, and it's just like they failed to do that. They won't do it out of stubbornness, pride, or whatever you want to call it. It's just not working over there. Sean Merriman joins us. Sean, do you have an example of a coach uh, who had it his way and then listened to his players? Because I think the best coaches are the ones who are like, you know what? My way isn't working. I got to work with these guys because maybe they don't have the talent to do what I want, but they have a skill set and we have to switch that way. Did you have a coach who was open to that and then conversely one who wasn't and it ultimately uh, never had success? Yeah. Um, Ron Rivera. Coach Rivera was great at that. You know, obviously him being a player himself, he listened to the players a lot. Okay. You know, I remember going to him. Uh, we used to rush, and I, I hated rushing out of three point stands. I, I didn't. I, I didn't like getting. I like rushing from the two point where I can get a better takeoff. I can see down the line of scrimmage. I can look at the off, the opposite guard and see how far he's off the line. So I get a lot of keys when I'm standing up. I went to him. I said, hey, I know you got. You know, you're running the four three. You wanted me to come off the edge of nickel, put my hand in the dirt, but I can see more when I'm standing up. Okay. He said, Hell, Sean, stand up. <laughs> and, and that was. That was it. That's that's how you you want you know your players to go out and react. And look, if it didn't work the way that I wanted to do it, then I'll go back doing it the way he wanted to do it. That's the player coach relationship that you're supposed to have. And most of the time, that works. These guys are in the NFL for a reason. Why not listen to them and and and, and kind of take in what they're also talking about? Sean Merriman joins us. I love that, right? Because something as simple as you're like, hey, man, I don't feel comfortable having my hand in the dirt. It's coach, okay, well, you don't have to do it, right? It just Because why Why would a coach force you to do something? You're like, hey, I think I'm pretty talented. I'm here in the NFL. I've had some success, but this is the one thing that I'm not good at. So did you have a lot of respect then, Sean, for guys who could come out of the three-point stance with their hand in the dirt because for it didn't work for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, 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 I did it when I had to do it. You yeah. know, when I, when I wanted to disguise the look, but trust me, I was looking down at my my hand in the dirt, and I wanted to scream the whole time I was down there. I just hated it. Uh, but you have some guys who do the opposite, right? I remember when um, Dwight Freeney. Dwight Freeney is a guy that that loves his hand in the dirt, right? And he got to the Charges, and they had that three four scheme. He stood up, he just looked awkward and out of place. It just wasn't his thing. Yeah. And then he did a reverse. They let him put his hand back down in the dirt because that's what he he was accustomed to. So you know, it just it works both ways. Which way you feel comfortable at? I love standing up at the two point, being able to have more freedom to look around and see what's going on. Guys like you know Dwight Freeney that was low center of gravity and explosive as he was, he liked his hand in the dirt. Sean Merriman uh, joins us. Sean, there's uh, the uh, 49ers and the Eagles. Without question, it's the game of the week. And, uh, you know, you, you look at the 49ers, man, I don't see many weaknesses there. And then I look at the Eagles, and they just know how to win. Like, they probably shouldn't have won that game against Buffalo, but they stuck around. They stuck around. Their, their kicker hits a 59-yarder in the sleet, which I'm sure has the bench going bananas. And then uh, they win it in, in overtime. Uh, who do you like right now better between the 49ers and the Eagles? 
It's it's unfortunate because the Eagles were so good last year and they're so good this year that if they don't blow everybody out, it wasn't a good game, right? <laughs> I mean that's 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 the feel you have with them right now. Like they just won't get the respect until they just absolutely demolish everybody they play. And by the way, there's 31 other teams that would love to be barely winning at 10 and one, right? <laughs> that's, just, that's just the deal. But I do believe right now with everybody healthy um, that the 49ers are the better team and. I know that we've seen uh, that three or four-week span where they just played terrible. Brock, to me, in my opinion, Brock Purdy, I think that that head injury lingered on. I don't think he was healthy. Um, they had you – know, I think Debo was down. They had so many guys down and out. Uh, um, you know, McCaffrey was – I mean, they, they were banged up all over the place. I think that when they're healthy and they're clicking, they're the best team in the NFL. But the, the, the problem is in this situation, man, how, how do you go against a team that's 10-1? Barely went in and 3.7. It doesn't matter. There's a lot of teams that rather be on that side of the fence than anywhere else. Um, so it's hard to go against them, man. But I, I just I like the San Francisco 49ers over Philly because they're healthy. There's something to be said, though, Sean, about winning those. Cl- like It's not just a fluke that you're always winning by three or four. Right, like you're fi- to me, the goal at the end of the day is to win. I've, like blowing out guys all the time is very difficult. Like the Eagles, they just have that. Je ne sais quoi at the right time of the game. They don't beat themselves is what I see when I watch the Eagles. Yeah, no no doubt about it. And, you know, the truth of the matter, the truth of the matter is the Eagles are getting every team's best every week, right? Um, when you're going to play the Philadelphia Eagles, that, you are up. You're, you're, this is no sleeper. We're not walking through the week and hopefully that we can wake up by Saturday and, and walk in the game feeling good on Sunday. By the time practice starts on, on Wednesday, guys are – this is Eagles week. You're getting every team's best. So I'm not surprised one bit that they're scraping by some teams because even the teams that are not so good, they'll find a way to get up one week for the, for the best – you know, one of the best teams, if not the best team in the NFL. So I think that's what the Eagles are dealing with this year. They are, everybody is giving their very, very best shot, and they're finding a way to win. And that's what's most important. We're joined by a former NFLer. Of course, he was the rookie of the year uh, with the Chargers back in uh, 2005. Sean Merriman joins us. And Sean, when you watch as a defensive guy, like off, defensive guys love defense, but obviously you respect the offense. When, when you look at today's quarterbacks, like the game has evolved. Like there used to be a lot more when you, even when you came in, like pocket quarterbacks, there's just not many of them. There's Lamar Jackson and, you know, Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes and, you know, even Dak Prescott. Like these guys can move. Um, what, when you watch, like the athletic quarterback, who is the one that impresses you the most? Well, it's the, it's the guy like like Patrick Mahomes that is not a mobile quarterback, but he can move. Does that make sense? He, you know, he he can do enough to get out the pocket and cause a problem. But he's really a throwing quarterback. Going into a game playing Lamar Jackson, you are are fully conscious to stay in your pass rush lane, stay in your hole, stay in your gap because he will take off at any given time. With Patrick Mahomes, you're not expecting that as much, and he does just enough to get out the pocket to extend plays and throw the ball down the field. And even guys like this, this is big and athletic as Justin Herbert, you know, even Joe Burrow. These guys are really thrown quarterbacks, but, man, they're mobile. And so playing Lamar Jackson wouldn't be a problem. I, every time that that ball is hiked, I'm looking at him and rush lanes and watching which way he takes off or step in the pocket or which way he roll out. I'm worried about that for four quarters. You're not really going into the game. And that's what Patrick Mahomes hurts you the worst. Mm-hmm. right? When everybody's covered down the field, they got the man-on-man coverage at 15, 20 yards down the field. He takes off, 
nobody's there, and he gets you for 15 yards for that first down. That that hurts. If if Lamar Jackson runs for a first down, he get picks up 10, 15. You're just dusting yourself off going to the next play. Yeah. You know, I mean that that's just what he does. Yeah, no, that, that's that's totally valid, and you. I look at uh, at Mahomes and I'm like, man, if they had some receivers, I think they'd be blowing everybody out. Like they just, and I get that salary cap is a factor, but if I look at one thing in Kansas City that you, you have one of the greatest quarterbacks ever, you have arguably the greatest tight end ever. You should have had better receivers this year. I don't care. That's just your job as the GM. You got to give your quarterback a receiver because that might cost him the Super Bowl. We, we've seen that before. We've seen this um, out of Aaron Rodgers, right? We, we saw Aaron Rodgers go years without having a number one wide receiver, eventually that bit them in the ass. And that, that what I, what is what I believe ultimately is going to happen to Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes is so great. Travis Kelsey is so great. Andy Reid is such a great coach. They've relied on that because, you know, we've seen them also win without a number one wide receiver, you know, without a number one running back. And just relying on really good defense and, and just Patrick Mahomes. So he's won that way. So what happens is teams, the front office, everybody's so accustomed to winning, no matter who you put on the field, eventually it's going to come back and bite you because later on during the season, that's what happened to Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, if he had a number one wide receiver, a number one tight end, a running back offensive line, he will, he will win three or four straight Super Bowls. He would, but it always gets him in the playoffs. The reason why they don't go deep in the playoffs is because eventually – eventually not having that talent, not having those guys there will catch you. That's why I believe that's what I think is going to happen to Kansas City this year. Okay, you don't have a number one guy. You guys are going to – you're still going to get to the playoffs. You you might even go deep in the playoffs. But you're going to struggle in that AFC championship game because that that, not having a big-time guy there, it matters. Sean Merriman uh, joins us. What do you make of Aaron Rodgers? Being back on the field already. What do you? What do you? What, what's going on here? We've never seen this before. I I uh, I tore my Achilles. Um, I, had a, I initially had a partial tear. Um, there was like a ten or fifteen percent tear. And I kept playing on it. It got worse and worse and worse, and I eventually popped it. Um, I can tell you, just coming back from that injury, I've had major knee injuries. I've had major shoulder injuries. There's nothing like that Achilles. Yeah. When I saw him um, walking, even with crutches. I'm not even with crutches. It was like four or five weeks later. He was walking on the field in a walking boot with crutches. I said, "No way, right? Absolutely no way." Because I think at that four week mark for me is when I took off the hard cast. I couldn't even think about walking in a walking boot. I mean, so I know the medicine is different. I know the surgery and procedures and 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 all these things are different. Science is a lot better. But what he's doing is unprecedented. We haven't seen it before, and I don't know. You know, which procedure, which process they have now that they haven't had 10, 15, 20 years ago, whatever the case is. But if he actually plays this year, I, I think that now, and, and I don't believe in a whole lot of miracles, uh, and I don't say that word a whole lot, but it, it, it would be a miracle if he found a way to get back on the field before this season is over. Yeah, it's. Seems crazy to me for sure. Um, no question that I guess I wanted to like, you know, how, what was the severity of, of his injury in the beginning? That would be the other one for me. And I know that uh, we've had a huge advancements in, uh, in medicine and technology, but that one definitely seems, uh, uh, rather advanced for sure. Uh, one last one for you, Sean. What do you make of the Ravens or I guess the Ravens and the Jaguars? How, how good are these two teams? And, uh, would you take either one of them or are the Chiefs still the team to beat in the AFC? 
I still say the Chiefs are the team to beat, but one thing about the Ravens and their style of play, especially on the defense side of the ball, they're very physical. And if they if this is a matchup that we're going to see in the AFC Championship game, which is very possible to happen, um, the, the Chiefs could be in trouble because of the physicality and the way they play the game. They run the ball well. Odell's you know doing the you know, the, the, the hard, tough slants, turning you know short yard passes and the long ones. Uh, they're finishing plays. Queen, I, I think they got the best one-two tandem uh, line, inside linebackers in the game with, with Queen and Smith. Those guys get after you. We've we seen J- Jadavion Clowney's playing as good as he have in the past five years. We've, we haven't seen him. Mean, he's yeah. literally went missing for the last three years. And I think that's due to the credit of, of Chuck Smith, who's the, who they brought in, who was also my pass rushing coach uh, during the offseason. They brought him in. And I think that person, his personality, his skill set, and what he's showing these guys up front – is really reflecting um, how well they're playing. So I, I'm a, I always give it to the Chiefs. You have to. They're the defending champs. Um, but I think if they if they met up in the AFC Championship game, they're going to have a problem with the Ravens. And before I let you go, uh, lights out extreme fighting, Sean. Uh, we had you on talk about that lots. So what's on card for you next? Yeah, we got a huge fight coming up uh, January 6th. Lights out extreme fighting 13 will be live on football sports, football TV. Uh, we have the next up-and-coming superstars of the sport in MMA. Um, got a big car, probably our biggest car we've had so far. Uh, January 6th will be live at 6 p.m. Pacific. So make sure you guys come check us out. Lights Out Extreme Fighting 13, uh, Long Beach, California. We'll be live on Football Sports, Football TV. All right. I love it. Thanks, man. We appreciate it. Okay. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you. You betcha. That is uh, Sean Merriman. Uh, Declan's all over the uh, – well, Declan, of course, our uh, resident uh, MMA expert. Uh, we'll get him to uh, – uh, maybe uh, run down that one after the card and see it. Because, you know what, uh, it is a, it's seen a little bit of a change maybe in uh, in MMA. Is, uh, is UFC losing a little bit of power? Which I actually, personally, I think might be better for the sport. Just my thoughts. Uh, and better definitely for the fighters. No question about it. Uh, when we return, uh, speaking of dominance, uh, the season is over. Uh, some might say thankfully, unless you're a Red Bull fan, because uh, it was wire-to-wire dominant for uh, Max this year. And uh, we'll recap that and, uh, and much more. And uh, what should be a very interesting... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Off season uh, coming up in F1 next on The Gregor Show presented by PlayAlberta.ca. 349 on uh, Sports 1440. Live on uh, Orders Nation uh, YouTube. Jason Greger, Connor Halley with you. As, uh, let's get to the uh, racing report. I got him in studio again. Uh, Colin Livingston uh, joins us. The racing report brought to you by Cantork. Uh, Colin, uh, the season is over. And uh, maybe for some it's uh, fitting because like the competitiveness, at least at the top, we all knew who was winning Max. It was a dominant season for him. No question. I know if you're a fan of Red Bull, we should never say, hey, you know what? Don't disregard greatness. Uh, it's just in other sports, even when a guy's dominant, there's still lots of, you know, well, it might be an individual player who's dominant, but his team might not win. Yeah. Right. This one, it was like, and, and it kind of, that's happened before, I know, in F1. But do you, uh, did you see anything at the end of the year that makes you believe that next year will be more competitive? Not really. Um, the, the field definitely closed up on Red Bull towards the end of the season. I mean, Red Bull was re- like, Verstappen was regularly a second a lap faster than everyone, especially at the beginning of the year. Towards the end of the year, um, you know, Leclerc had a couple of decent runs at him, but just wasn't nearly aggressive enough to make the the path. Like, he wasn't going to be able to hold Max off for the race, but lap times definitely got closer. Um, the field is closer, but as uh, Sir Lewis Hamilton pointed out, they're very skeptical that anyone's going to get to Red Bull in this current configuration. Red Bull stopped developing their car, like, months ago. Okay. So they haven't really touched it. They've focused all their attention on their, their next year's car, while most of the teams like Mercedes, Ferrari, McLaren had to keep some of the development going because they were still fighting for positions in the constructors and in the drivers' championships right down to the last race. Um, how much does Red Bull have in reserve? And, and, you know, how much more are they going to be able to find in the offseason? Nobody knows. I think Mercedes is going to make a big gain uh, in the off season because their car was just so horrifically bad from the, the chassis standpoint of things that they couldn't change mid season. So next year they're going to come out of the blocks. I hope a little bit better off. Um, they should be able to make the biggest gains. Um, and then we'll see what, what Ferrari does. Ferrari's Achilles heel for, for the last, um, you know, at least five years has been strategy. Even when they were like, the last time they were in the, the, the driver's championship when, when Vettel was really uh, pushing, they would find ways to kind of mess races up and they still find a way to do that. Even, even the last race there with Sainz, um, you know, he made the weekend really tough on him, you know, crashed in uh, the opening practice, not really his fault. Um, you know, hit a bump, lost the car, uh, lost a bunch of practice time and, and obviously a lot of work for the teams started him in the back of the pack but even towards the end of the race uh they weren't pitting him because they said they wanted to wait for a yeah. for a safety car but Didn't even happen. that doesn't make sense because when the safety car comes you've got to come in everybody else is going to stay out so you lose all that track position anyway or everybody else comes in and you're you're on level level ground yeah. so it didn't really make sense why they did that um 
but you know whatever that that's their thing. McLaren obviously made a, a massive gain this year, um, especially kind of mid season. Yes. I, I don't think we've ever really seen a jump like that. Teams will start out pretty strong, like like uh, Aston Martin, and then fall off. But um, I've never seen a gain like that again mid season. So not really sure what what they uh, what kind of rabbits they pulled out of the hat. But uh, yeah, I mean, other than that, I mean, the race was kind of. So it was okay, but yeah, well, it was basically decided after the first few turns, unfortunately. But you mentioned how so Red Bull has such a big lead now; they're focusing on their vehicle next year to get second or third in the constructor points. How much of a benefit is there? Like, what are oh, we talking about like here? Tens of millions of dollars. Tens of millions of dollars. The trade-off is you get less wind tunnel and development time, so there's a bit of a balance. But the teams would always rather finish higher and get the cash. Um, then potentially lose, you know, a percentage of, of their development. Okay. Cause I was wondering, would it be worth say, you know what? Like, so they've got enough money anyway. I just wonder if one would say, okay, we're going to be second or we're going to be third, right? Cause there was a battle for second and third. That was pretty much it. Yeah. There were some drivers uh, yeah. positions that were up for grabs, but yeah. Yeah. And so I wonder if, if one of them would have said, like, if, if you're McLaren and says, okay, we got to get closer, let's start focusing on next year. And who cares if we drop from number two to number three, I guess. I'm wondering, why wouldn't you? Because now it's almost like they've decided, well, we can't catch Red Bull, so we're all just fighting for second place. Well, but the team's pushed, like, right down to the very, very last lap with, um, you know, Leclerc was in second. Perez was chasing oh, down it. It was, that part um, was Russell good. for, you know, yeah. he was in fourth, but he had a five second penalty. Yeah. But, you know, and Leclerc actually let him go because he wanted to try and back Russell up because that was the difference between Ferrari finishing second or third. Like these guys went down to the last lap and did everything they could within the um, within the spirit of the regulations to to get that. Like they both wanted it because of the, the you know, first of all, it's a pride thing. Second of all, the, the benefit to being second in the construction is you get the second pit stall you get the second um like uh hospitality location uh, you get okay, all like yeah. because that's how that's how they get set up at the track so the you get the year. second pit um and where the the haulers uh the transporters pardon me stage like you know gunther steiner has complained for years he's like i hate having to walk past all these effing trailers because we're at the very end and it's a every time you have to do that walk it's a reminder that you're at the end of the uh, the, the <laughs> equation and not at the front yeah, so okay, yeah there's fair. there's a lot that goes on there colin Levinson joins us in the uh, cantor racing report um do you think the uh the qualifying i've been reading up lots of people uh wondering that they're not doing enough to stop guys from crossing the line as far as, you know, what they're allowed with. Um, you know, and I, I want now, I'll be honest, I don't follow close enough. I don't watch qualifying. I'll be 100% honest about that. that you know, because I was reading that hey, Max has stopped a few times and different things like that, but he's never penalized. So Correct. what has to happen there? Is this as big of an issue as some people are saying? It, it actually is because okay. there's gamesmanship involved. So the last two weekends before Abu Dhabi, um, Verstappen would pull out, would stop, which meant he was able to like literally block the pit exit. He was the first one that was able to get out and he could control the pace after that. So if he wanted to, he could stop and nobody could get around him. You're not allowed to pass. Once you get out, then you have to maintain a certain track speed, you know, as you're building up, you yeah. know, battery storage and all the rest of it. What Verstappen, what happened though in qualifying is there was an incident. There were two red flags. Um, 
and then they were short on time. And as drivers were kind of pacing themselves and kind of dragging their feet a bit as they were they were coming out of uh, pit road, Max was impatient. He's like, I don't want to wait and actually drove around like Abu Dhabi is a crazy pit lane to even try yeah. this because it's a tunnel. There's concrete walls like and he drove around Hamilton, who was waiting for Russell, who was waiting for someone who was waiting for someone. He's like, you know, to hell with it, but never gets penalized. So there's got to be said it a million times on this show until there's a rule that says you can't do something. Drivers will always push to the very extreme. So the, the rule just needs to be simply once you leave pit road, you have to maintain this speed for this long, you know, unless you have a mechanical issue. If you have a mechanical issue, pull off to the side so everybody else can get by. The big thing happens when they get on track, though, because the dirty air is, is becoming such a big deal again. Like this new generation car was supposed to eliminate that. But the teams have developed where they need the physical downforce again. And this dirty air is really messing things up. So, um, but they, they just, they basically have to take away all these loopholes from the guys to say like, no, you can't drag your feet. You have to maintain the speed. Your, your lap delta has to be this and just get on with it. Give yourself space. Stop playing games or you're going to get penalized and not like these, these BS penalties. Like, you know, Max got a five second penalty in Vegas, which did, like was nothing. Yeah. At, on lap one, a five-second penalty means a, a fraction of a percentage what it means if you get a five-second penalty on the last lap. So yes. there's got to be some kind of common sense to say, like, the, the punishment has to fit the crime. Yeah, that's fair. Um, if you look to the off-season now, and mm-hmm. it's a short off-season, uh, there was lots of talk about, uh, you know, the three races in the U.S. this year. And, you know, that from Vegas to Miami, you know, the Cotta Vegas, it's like 4,000 kilometers for those yeah. races, where it's 1,850 when you go from uh, Jeddah to uh, Abu Dhabi. Yeah. So... Do you see them, but they've already released a schedule for next year, right? But do you see in 2025 any change coming or is this just part of it? If they want to grow, they wanted to make a bigger stake in North America. So that's the part of it. They're just going to travel more. They, they did. So there's, you know, obviously there's four races in North, well, uh, five races in North America with Mexico and Canada, but yeah. just in the U.S., which is where the focus has been. Yeah. Those three races. Um, I think the U.S. is saturated. Middle East, four races within an 1,800-kilometer span. Like, that's kind of crazy because, you know, Bahrain um, in the early part of the season is a very, very, very tiny country. I'm going to be there next week, kind of segueing into the next part of it. But, um, you know, Qatar is a super small country, so they don't have a big population to kind of, you know, draw on. Obviously, Saudi Arabia, massive amounts of dollars, very populous country, and, and UAE, no shortage of money over there. So they can kind of support it, but I think they're, they're, you know, saturated. The end of next year, um, there's two spans of three races in a row. So there's three races in a row, a one week break yes. or, a, or a bit of a break. And then the season ends with, with three races, kind of how this season ended. People at Abu Dhabi were physically sick. Like there's all kinds of illness going through the paddock. There was a bunch of people, like, because after the Abu Dhabi race, there's a young driver development test on Monday. Then there's a tire test, which are the the featured driver, the main F1 drivers. There were all kinds of crew people that weren't able to participate because they were so fatigued. They're just getting sick. Absolutely. Next year, it's going to be even more difficult. And um, it's too late to make the change because they've already committed to the schedule. But I don't know how they're going to keep pushing like this. And lastly, any significant driver movement in the offseason? The only spot that seems like it's up for grabs, unless teams are, are going to violate contracts, is uh, the second seat at Williams, which is uh, Logan Sargent. Um, 
they made one comment during the race that, you know, we're looking forward to many years with you, but then at the very end of the race um, said, no, his position is not solidified, but we know he's going to be with us in some capacity, even if he's not in that seat. But otherwise, uh, I think it's pretty straightforward. The only thing that might potentially happen depending on how things go especially in the earlier part of next year is perez is uh perez being swapped out for for ricardo um but yeah other than that uh should be status quo awesome stuff call my man oh quickly uh uh thoughts on the uh the past and uh, uh a pretty big uh voice uh long time in uh in uh, in uh, auto racing uh, passed away. Yeah, uh you know, just the best friend uh motorsport had in Canada, Mr. Norris McDonald. Um wrote for the Toronto Star but did a lot of freelance stuff. Um you know, one of the just the truly friendliest uh, most sincere guys. Every time I saw the guy, he would remember who I was. We'd have these great chats. I'd be able to pick his brain about, you know, especially as we started doing things like this show and, you know, I, I got a little bit more, um, you know, into, into the, the, the reporting side of racing. Um, but yeah, really sad. We didn't see him a lot last year. I have a, a good friend who stays in touch with him and, and was even asking about him as, as early as last week and just said, Hey, I haven't heard anything. What's going on? It sounded like he was at home, uh, was, was resting. Uh, was was planning to come back to the track in um, you know next year, and then you know obviously um, you know took a turn for the worse, and and uh, we lost uh, we lost Norris, but um, you know uh, hopefully it was a peaceful transition, and um, yeah, just going to be really sad getting out to the the track and not being able to see him with his his trademark hat and uh, you know his great line of questioning because he was also a no no BS guy. If there was something wrong, he had no problem calling people out. And and, uh, you know, telling the truth. I love it. Awesome, Colin. Thanks for that. You bet. That's uh, the race report brought to you by Cantor. Check out their brand new, uh, newly launched uh, website, improved navigation, more product information. And guess what? You can watch all past episodes of the racing report uh, at cantorque.com. Uh, coming up, uh, I think Terry Ryan will be joining us. Also, Mike Rupp will be by. Of course, we'll preview the orders and the Jets. We'll hear from head coach uh, Chris Knobloch. we got Spec coming up and much more on a busy Thursday edition of the Jason Greger Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Here's a con man. Sports 1440 update brought to you by Fountain Tire. And the Road Ready Sales event is on now. You can get up to $225 off select tires and an extra $50 bonus when you book a service right now at FountainTire.com.